It's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Linda Holmes. It's always tricky to ask a writer whether something they wrote is autobiographical. It's too easy to assume that every story comes from the writer's own life when the truth is often more complicated. For example, Hotata One Moeng, the author of the new short story collection Call and Response, is from Botswana, like the women and girls in her stories. But the way she talks about the book with NPR's Scott Simon, you can tell the stories are not just about Botswana. They're about knowing that the place where you're from has its own rhythms, its own expectations, its own pace, and you might not even remember them clearly until you go back, whether you go back in person or you go back in a story. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, A People's History from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History tells the story of how Black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. Call and Response is a collection of short stories that reveals the world as lived by girls and women in a village and in the capital city of Botswana. Girls and women who seek lives that might reach beyond or around traditional ways and current circumstances. Here's how the author begins her story, A Good Girl. One Sunday October morning, in the year I was nine and given to daydreaming, I watched my mother step the soil in the potted plants on the veranda. She was stooped over her African violets, and wax begonias, quiet except for the halves of angry breath spurting from the tight line of her lips. It had been only two days since my older sister Wiesherpot's return home from God knows where, and she and Mama were still staying out of each other's way. Call and Response is the first book from Hotata One Moeg, whose work has appeared in the Oxford American and a public space and who's a recipient of a Wallace Stegner Fiction Fellowship. She joins us now from Provincetown, Massachusetts. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. And you know both small town life and big city life in Botswana, don't you? Yes. I was born in Soroe, which is where my family is from. I spent a little bit of my life in a much smaller village called Magalamabedi in the northwest of Botswana. And then at 13 years old, I moved to Habarone to go to boarding school there. Um, and I lived there for 14 years or so before I moved to Mississippi, actually, to Oxford, Mississippi, for graduate school. In the story, which I love to which you just read the introduction, A Good Girl, the central character is, but says, I wrote this down, we wanted to love, but we had been warned love was dangerous. A bright burning flame, it would lick us alive. What do warnings do for young people? <laughs> I think depending on the kind of person the young person is, the warnings can keep them away from pursuing that, those kind of romantic yeah. encounters. But also I think they make those romantic encounters more, much more attractive and alluring, right? Because yeah. like, you want to know what your parents are keeping you away from or what, you know, in this case, the brother is telling you, like, guys only want women for certain things. And so you are kind of curious about what those things are. Yeah. Uh, and in one story, there's a 12-year-old girl who tires of taking care of her sick aunt. Mm -hmm. uh, she calls her the patient. I wonder, does she feel that, that death is kind of being rubbed into her face? 
I think when she is at that age, it's more that she's like really ashamed of her aunt dying. She had these ideas of her aunt as this kind of glamorous figure in her life who kind of sweeps in once in a while, tells her all of these stories about life outside of the village, you know, encourages her and gives her these ideas of the world as a bigger place. And so when her aunt falls sick and is essentially sent back home to die, and she sees her as this sort of pitiful figure who has not lived up to the ideals that she had. She's ashamed of that. Also, I think that she knows what her aunt is dying from. You know, her aunt is dying from AIDS. I think that it's a subject that most of the people within the household understand, but they don't really talk to each other about it. Because at the time, the story said in the mid-90s in Rosanna, there was so much stigma about people dying from AIDS. And so yeah. she's really ashamed of her aunt. It's only when she's much older and she has been able to travel herself and she's able to kind of look back and reassess her treatment of her aunt um, and just see it wasn't just her aunt. It was there were so many other people that were dying at the same time that then she realizes, oh, there was so much death pressing against her all the time. Have you known these characters in these stories, more or less, one way or another? So the stories, so many of them are said in my home village of Saroe, and they're said specifically in the Botala the Ward, which is where I'm from. All of these seem very similar to women within my own family, you know, my cousins, my sisters, my aunties. So for sure, I would say that, yes, I do know women like this and, and girls like this. Yeah. I've, I've read that you went back to Botswana during a part of the pandemic. I did, yeah. I went back home, and I went actually went back home to Saroe, to the village, to live there with my mother. It was, it was a really wonderful time. It was kind of a humbling time, just because <laughs> it was interesting that I was back home, and you know, when I'm not in Saroe, I do feel kind of nostalgic and homesick for all of these ideas of that I've just been saying of being in a village. People can come in and just drop in, but when I was home, I was noticing. Uh, so many of my uh, mother's friends would just like drop in yeah. and then you're expected to like drop what you're doing and make them tea and, and do all of that. And I re- noticed that I was getting really frustrated and I could not figure out why. And I just noticed, oh, it's because I haven't lived in the village for so long. And I've lived, um, you know, I was like essentially living by myself and I was living in the U.S. But I quickly went back into the fold. I really enjoyed spending time with my mother and my older aunties um, who, you know, kept me in a lot of really great gossip <laughs> about everybody. Oh, you were a little yes. behind on that, I guess, weren't you? I was a little bit behind. <laughs> wow. Uh, I want to ask you about your story, Small Wonders, which I liked so much. Mm-hmm. woman loses her husband in a car accident. Yes. And uh, wonders, you know, how can the world go on? My life is, has just been put on hold. Does she begin to feel that she's expected to play a certain role as a widow? Yeah, I think that she does feel that way. She participates in this tradition wherein widows have to wear these mourning clothes, mm-hmm. typically a year or less than that if the person is young. And her mother is saying, you know, there has to have been a reason why our people did this. What's interesting is that once she has actually gone through the year of mourning, she is reluctant to take the clothes off because she she thinks that the clothes keep her tethered to her husband, that they keep his 
memory and the idea of him yeah. alive in some way uh, for herself and also for other people who may not know her and may not know him, but because they can see that she's wearing those clothes, they understand immediately that she's mourning somebody that she loved. So for me, what's interesting is that she really participated in this tradition only out of obligation, but then she she understands at the end that it has offered her something that she wasn't expecting. And I think that in the story and in, in the other stories in the collection, there is a way in which the characters or the, you know, some other women are trying to move away from these traditions that they feel mm-hmm. are out of step with their modern life. But they also sometimes find that they're longing for some of those customs offer them something that they cannot get from modern life. Yeah. Well, modern life can be a terrible jumble, can't it? Yeah, it can be chaotic and very lonely. (laughs) Call and Response, a book of short stories, and the first book from Hotata One Moeng. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. (laughs) Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at Life Kit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR.